Thank you, Father, that where two or three are gathered together in your name, that you are right here in the midst of us. Oh God, may our attention be diverted from everything else but you. Fix our eyes on you. Give us an excitement about who you are and the plans that you have for our life. Lord, expand our, our conception of where you want to lead us. And Father, we pray that your word would take root in our hearts and that it would bear fruit that makes a difference in people's lives around us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I can only imagine what it must have been like. I'm not sure if she came running into the tent and she was breathless. I'm not sure if she shamefully came back slowly into the camp. But it's clear that, that Hagar obeyed what God had said. Last week we looked at how Hagar was met by likely the pre-incarnate Jesus himself. And, and, and she names him the God who sees me, the God who, who's there for me, the God. And then he says, name your child. I'm the God who hears, Ishmael. So I imagine that it probably was with some excitement that she runs back into the camp and, and now she has this experience to share. She says, God showed up for me. God showed up and he, he, he sees me. And not only that, but he says, I'm going to have a son. And this son, he said to name him Ishmael. God hears. You imagine as the, the buzz goes around the camp and pretty soon maybe Abraham's thinking about this and Sarah is thinking about this, and as they think about this, well, you know, maybe this was a good plan after all. This whole idea of, of having Hagar be the one to bear the child, maybe, see, God showed up to Hagar, so maybe this was a good plan after all. Maybe God is going to accept this child. Time goes by. In fact, the year goes by. Two years goes by. Three years goes by. And, and Abraham has to have that sense on his conscience that, that maybe this wasn't God's plan and, and maybe this isn't what he's calling him to. But, but then maybe there's that play back and forth of, well, but remember what God told her. And remember that he said he'd multiply her seed through, or multiply Ishmael's descendants like, just like he promised to me. Five years goes by. Ten years goes by. Abraham's not hearing from God. Over the previous years, we see him appearing multiple times. In ten years, we see him, God appearing to Abraham about four different times. But now God is seemingly silent. Have you experienced this, what feels like the silence of God before in your life? And then, you can open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17, after another 13 years, God shows up to Abraham. And it is beautiful. The way God shows up to him, the things God says to him, these are things that you can take in for your life this morning and that they can give you hope, they can give you a foundation to stand on, they can give you an assurance of what God is going to do in your life. Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1 Starts off like this. We'll get it up here on the screen. When Abraham was, how old? 99 years old. And at this time period, this was old. Just because Abraham lives a lot longer than this doesn't mean that this wasn't a very 
old age. We know from what is talked about him at this age that uh, the New Testament writers say he was almost dead at this point. He's 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, watch this, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Okay, I want by the end of today that that if you don't remember anything else, you're going to remember this verse. You guys want to do that with me this morning? You think you can do that? So let's just say it together, okay? I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Okay, let's try it again. I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Now, we won't do this right now, but all you have to do is to read this out loud ten times, close your eyes, then repeat it ten times, and then for the next few days, just keep repeating it ten times with your eyes closed, and you will have this verse memorized for a very long time. But just for now, let's try reading it one more time, okay? And then we're going to try to close our eyes and repeat it, okay? So, so read it really carefully this time. You ready? I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. All right, now everybody's eyes closed, no peeking like in kindergarten, okay? You ready? I am Almighty God. Oh, I had to peek. Oh, you guys are really good. That's great. All right. I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, I was reading about this, and Jacques Ducan, talking about the Hebrew of this, says this in the SDA International Bible Commentary, that a very literal translation of this would be like this. Walk before God and then be blameless. This is a really beautiful thing, because we could read this and think, okay, so God is telling Abraham, that now he's got to become perfect. And is God calling him to blamelessness? Yes, he is. But we're going to find in this chapter the way that he calls him to a wholeness, a completion. The way that he calls him to this blamelessness. Now, as we talk about blamelessness, as we talk about the idea of perfection, the Bible teaches us that we're to be righteous. And righteousness is holiness. And holiness is likeness to God. And the Bible tells us that God is love. Now, if perfection involves becoming like God, if blamelessness, if, if righteousness involves becoming like God, becoming more and more loving, I want to suggest to you this morning that there's not a line where suddenly you'll be able to say, Aha! I am now as loving as God. Does this make sense? Okay, because God is infinitely loving and and the more relationships that he has, the more love that there is and the more that he interacts with people, the more that that love expands and grows. So this is a concept that continues to grow and expand in our lives. And I'm thankful for that because otherwise heaven would become very boring. But our completion, our our closeness, our, our similarity to God will continue to expand throughout eternity. Okay, but but let's just look at this a little bit more directly walk before god and then be blameless so i I was trying to picture what does this look like what does this practically look like for abraham and the thing that comes to mind that's the most obvious to me comes from my own household so livy is is learning that she is able to take steps this was about a week and a half ago so she is walking 
before me. Now, now these steps are really, really timid steps. They're really, really small steps. These aren't what you would call uh, an advanced walker at this point. But she is taking steps. And she's walking before me. Could it be that God is inviting Abraham to something like this? Hey, Abraham, you know what you did with Hagar? You tried to go walking on your own. You tried to take your hands out of my hands. But here's the deal. What I want you to do is to walk before me with your hands in my hands. Walk in front of me and I am going to walk with you. Walk before me and be blameless. I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Well, let's continue reading. And we're going to find some fascinating things as we go through this chapter. Verse 2 says, And I will make... What does it say? What kind of covenant? I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. So, so whose covenant is this? This is the Almighty God's covenant. Now, when it says Almighty God, that's a translation for El Shaddai. And they're not really sure where what Shaddai should be translated as. It's mainly used in Genesis and Job. It's usually used in the context of promises of fertility, of promises of blessing, of promises of multiplying people. It's, it's also used in giving the idea of blessing for a hope and a future. And so they look at this word Shaddai, and there's different ideas of how it should be translated. Sometimes it's based on uh, some words that give the, the exalted and, and high nature of who God is. And then there's also the idea that it's based on a Hebrew word having to do with a nursing mother. And that it's the idea of his sustaining presence in people's lives. That he will be there to provide absolutely everything that people need. So here he is, he's beginning to to say, I will make my covenant between you and me and will multiply you exceedingly. And the whole Bible is about this covenant of God. It's about a promise that's made in the entire Old Testament. And then you come to Jesus and the Bible suddenly shifts and becomes about how the promise was fulfilled in Jesus. So I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Now, as we look through this chapter, it's pretty fascinating because God goes on to say, these are the things that I will do. He says, I will give or I will make six different times. He says this, I'm, I'm going to make, I'm going to give. He uses the verb Natan. I will give and I will make. Then he says, I will multiply two different times. He says, I will make you fruitful. I will make Ishmael fruitful. Again and again, God's saying, I am going to do this. This is what I will accomplish in your life and in your family's life. I will establish, he says three different times. I'm going to establish this covenant. I'm going to make this covenant a reality in your life. I will do it. I will be God to you and your descendants. It's one of the most beautiful parts. He says that two different times. So all in all, if you count this up, 15 different times, God's telling us about what He is going to accomplish. That the covenant is His covenant, and it's about what He will accomplish. He says, it is my covenant, nine different times. He says the word covenant here 13 different times. And nine of those times, He says, this is my covenant. This is my promise. This is about who I am. 
Abraham, this, this isn't about you and what you can accomplish, but this is about me being El Shaddai, the Almighty, who can fulfill and provide and do all of these things in your life. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, verse 4 continues, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. So now, not only is he saying all the things that I'm going to do, but, but he's also giving him a new name. And he's saying, this is the representation. This is... This is who you are now. You know, this, this makes me think about when I began to play flag football, when I went to a private Christian school, Adventist school in Fresno. I was really intimidated that I wasn't going to be able to make the football team. I made the football team and I was so excited. It was my sophomore year was the first year I went there. And as I began to play football, I became far too obsessed with it, honestly. But when we had our, our, our celebration at the end of the year, we were watching these reels and, and everybody would point at certain points and they'd start laughing. And they were laughing at me. They're like, look at that guy. Look at how he runs. He's like so gangly and long and his running is just ridiculous. I didn't want to be known as the guy who couldn't run in a normal fashion. I didn't want to be the gangly guy. So the next year, I just kept training. I kept trying my hardest to be a good football player. And then one game happened. It was against a team that was one we played against quite regularly. And, and suddenly the coach decided to put in the freshman who was going to potentially be the new quarterback. And he put him in. And, and as we went into the huddle, I was wide receiver. His name was Garrison. And he looked up at me and he's like... I don't know what to do. What do I do? What do we do right now? <laughs> it's like, uh-oh, this isn't going to be good. He's like, you just go as fast as you can towards the end zone, and I'm going to throw the ball. All right? I don't want to stay out here very long. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. So I took off, and I began running as fast as I can, which isn't necessarily that fast, but I'm running straight towards the end zone as fast as I can. And all of a sudden, he takes the ball, and he had this beautiful throw. It was, it was very, very beautiful. I'm thinking, that's going to go farther than me. And I'm running as fast as I possibly can. And my fingertips are going out further and further and further. And just barely the ball comes into my hands. And I make it to the end zone for a touchdown. Afterwards, the coach comes and he's like, All right, guys. From here on out, we're going to know, we're going to remember this moment. (laughs) He says, guys, that was the throw and the catch. From now on, when we say the throw, when we say the catch, you just think about that moment. And my name was no longer the gangly one who runs really funnily. I don't even know how to say that, but doesn't, who can't run straight. But now I was the one who could catch a football. It's really not a big deal at all. It's just a little pigskin. But God comes to Abraham, Abram. And his name already meant, you know, exalted father. He says, here's the deal. I'm changing your name. You are now going to be known. And it's not by what Abraham already is. He's been 24 years in the land of Canaan. He has no children yet except for Ishmael. But no children through Sarai. And God says, here's the deal. Your name is going to be Father of Nations. Isn't that a good name? I name you Father of Nations. 
It's kind of like this morning that God says to you, you are a daughter of mine. You are a son of mine. And you're thinking, me? (laughs) You got the wrong person. Do you know the type of person that I am? You're calling me to walk before you and to be blameless, but I'm far from that. And he says, if you just put your hands up and walk before me, I'm going to carry you through. I'll change your name. I will make you an entirely new person. Verse 6 continues, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations uh, come from you and kings shall come from you. It's a beautiful thing because ultimately the king of kings was born through one of his great, 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 great grandsons. Verse 7 continues, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. So, the simple question. What is God asking of Abraham up until now? Can you, did you see anything? Absolutely nothing. He's saying, this is what I am going to do. I am going to step up. I am going to accomplish this. This is my covenant. This is what I will do. I am going to establish this in your life. He's wanting it to be really clear to Abraham that that whole plan of you like helping me out and, and, and taking Hagar against her will and, and, and having a child, this isn't my plan. But Abraham doesn't quite get it. We'll find that. But, but here's the beautiful thing. At the end of this, notice what it says. To be God to you and your descendants after you. I, the Almighty, the El Shaddai, I am going to be your God. I'm going to, all of my infinite power that holds the universe in place, all of my power that created everything around you, I am going to use that for your good. And as we believe in God, he says the same exact thing to you. I, I want to be your God. I want to be the Almighty to you. I want to be the one who steps into your difficult situation, who steps into your heartbreak, who steps in to give you hope and a future, who will see you through anything in your life. Romans 8.31 says it like this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? Then it goes on to say, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how would He not with Him freely give us all things? God is on your side, I'm here to tell you. And if you doubt that, just look at the cross of Jesus Christ and you can know for a fact that God is on your side. Satan will do everything possible to convince you that He's not. But God is on your side. Now, a little bit further on, this story takes a turn in that it begins to show what Abraham is supposed to do. And, and God says to him, okay, so here's the deal. Now here's how you're going to keep my covenant. So, so my covenant with you is that I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to make you fruitful. And he goes on to say, I'm going to give you a land and your descendants are going to have this land. And then he says, here's how you're going to keep the covenant. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Aha. So Abraham did have to do something, didn't he? Abraham had to follow through in his part of the deal. He had to do something. But as you really look at this, could it be that God is wanting to point out to Abraham his impotence so that his omnipotence can be made more clear in his life? 
You see, he here is expecting to have a child. And, and as he's looking at this, he's like, I'm 99 years old and, and Sarah is 100 years old. And God says, well, well, the very way that you're going to have this child, let's wound you in that very area. And if you doubt that that's what this means, you look at, at Genesis chapter 34 and verse 24, where uh, Simeon and his brother are upset about what happened to Dinah. And so they tell this whole city like, hey, you guys just circumcise yourselves and then you can marry Dinah and you can intermarry with us if you're just circumcised. And then it says in verse 24, when they were in pain, apparently they were so weak from this happening that they went and they killed the entire city. You see, this was a terrible thing for a grown man to experience. This is something that was a wounding thing. This was something that was to highlight Abraham's impotence so that he would look to the Almighty as the omnipotent one. So what does that matter for me today? I mean, how do I experience this in in, in my life practically? So it goes on to say... uh, you know, if you look at this whole whole story, it really is kind of amusing in a way. Here you have a 99-year-old guy. You have an 89, 90-year-old woman. Uh, God's showing up to them saying, you're going to have a child. Then he's making it seemingly uh, more difficult in the process. And then, then he says to him, no, your descendants are going to come. You're, you're going to have a child through Sarai. In verse 17, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? This is the man of faith. And he's looking at all that God is promising and it just makes him chuckle. <laughs> makes him laugh. Like, is this really going to happen, God? This, this is actually kind of amusing that you're telling me this. This is the father of faith who we look to and say, man... God used him in powerful ways. And this morning, if you're not feeling like your faith is at a high enough level, just keep walking before him. Just keep putting your hands up to let him walk forward with you. Just keep looking to Jesus. Verse 18, Abraham responds and he explains why he's thinking that this is what he thinks would be a better plan. Verse 18, and Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Hey, hey God. Can we go back to the Ishmael plan? He's 13 years old now. You, you named him God hears. You heard our prayer. We have a son now. Can we go back to the plan of Ishmael, God? Can we go back to the plan where Sarai says, I'm going to help you help God out by giving Hagar my mistress to you as a wife. Well, God doesn't come through in His promises, so we've got to come through for Him. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God responds, and I believe it was like this. No. (laughs) Can Ishmael live before you? No. Then God said, no. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. And with his descendants after him. It may seem impossible. It may seem like there's no way forward. But I am going to do this in your life. It's the same way with the impossibilities of our life. We may not see a way forward. We may feel like there's no hope. And yet God is saying, I will do this. 
I have made the covenant with you. I will establish. I will make. I will follow through on my promises in your life. Now, the next verse goes on to tell us that he, he goes on to promise to Abraham that, yes, I've heard you about Ishmael and I will multiply his descendants. And God cares about Ishmael. And we saw how, God, how much God cared about Hagar. But in this moment, God is wanting him to focus on letting God be God. Letting Him be the Almighty in his life. Verse 24, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Abraham was wounded. The age of 99 years old. And his wounds actually became his strength in the end. I was reading an interesting article about different people who have fought in wars and been wounded. And when they come back, a lot of times it may look like, hey, they're not going to be able to make a difference. They're not going to be able to live their normal lives. And yet, how often those very wounds become their strength. This afternoon, we celebrate the life of a guy who was very vulnerable with us, who shared with us the wounds that he had experienced in his life. And I believe that his willingness to share the comfort and the peace that God had given him in the midst of all that gave a lot of us hope. In fact, I saw it in many young men's lives who were going through addiction. The wounds that John had experienced through addiction himself became what God used to give other people hope. And this weekend is Veterans Day, and I just want to pause for a moment and just to say thank you to all of our veterans this morning. There may be wounds you've experienced. There may be things that you have gone through. Not, they're not always physical. They're not always that obvious. But for those of you who have served in our military, I just want to say thank you for your willingness to serve. In fact, if you want to stand just now, if you are a veteran and you served in our military, I just want to thank you for your service this morning. I'm serious. You can go ahead and stand up. I know that there's several others of you here this morning. Thank you for your willingness to serve our country. And sometimes that comes at sacrifice. Sometimes that comes, and yet God is able to take the hurt in our lives. He sees it like we heard last week. He hears it, and He turns it around to be a blessing. We've seen that in John's life, and we celebrate that in the midst of our own pain in having this loss. We look and we see a God who's about keeping His covenant, who's about pursuing people who weren't looking for Him in the first place. Well, Abraham was circumcised. He was wounded in the flesh of his foreskin at 99 years old, and things are becoming only more difficult for him. And yet God shows up in that moment and says, you're going to have a son, and names the second opportunity, the second time in the Bible when a son is named. He said, your son is going to be named Isaac. Now, Deuteronomy, when, when Moses is talking to the children of Israel and he's reminding them about this rite of circumcision, he says something to them that, that, that should have helped them for years to come. Because later on you find in the New Testament that they're fighting about whether people have to be circumcised or not. And, and Moses basically says it's not about that. It's a sign. It's a symbol of the covenant. And in Deuteronomy 10, verse 16, he, he says, Therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. 
Allow for your heart to be softened. Stop being stubborn and going your own way, but, but allow for God to have His way in your heart. Now something really beautiful in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 6, he goes on to promise it this way. He says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. And then he shows what this is about, what this will result in. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Notice that the active agent in this is not us. It's God. God says, I'm going to step in and I'm going to circumcise your heart. And in circumcising your heart, you are going to come to love me more than you ever did before. With all your heart. With all your soul. I claim this one a lot. uh, For myself, for my family, and also for my kids. It says, I'll circumcise the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 392. After talking about this verse, goes on to say this. It is God that circumcises the heart. This is good news. Because I don't know how to circumcise my own heart. I have a lot of hardness in my heart that I, I, I don't know how to take care of on my own. It is God who circumcises the heart. The whole work is the Lord's from the beginning to the end. I don't think you caught it. The whole work is the Lord's from the beginning to the end. This should give us reason to be really happy in church this morning because it's not about you and what you can accomplish, but it's about your God, the Almighty, the El Shaddai, who is able to finish the faith that He began in you. It is God who circumcises the heart. The whole work is the Lord's from beginning to end. The perishing sinner may say, I'm a lost sinner, but Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. I'm a sinner and He died upon Calvary's cross to save me. I need not remain a moment longer unsaved. This moment, this morning, if you're questioning your relationship with God, don't walk out of here still questioning it, but in this moment say, God, You died for me. And I accept that this morning. He died and rose again for my justification and He will save me now. I accept the forgiveness that He has promised. Friends, this is the power of what Jesus has done for us. Romans chapter 4, talking about Abraham and him being the father of faith, says this, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. He received this as a a sign, a seal, to, to put God's stamp on the fact that he was righteous, by faith in the Almighty God. That He was righteous not based on Him, but who God was and His willingness to walk hand in hand with that God, to walk before Him and then become blameless. Verse 17, going on to describe this exact experience that we've read about today. It says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of Him whom He believed, albeit a weak belief sometimes, in the presence of whom He believed, God who gives life to the dead. Friends, on a day like today, that means more than anything. (laughs) Who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. I'll name him Abraham and and he will be the father of nations. Uh, I'll call you by a name that isn't yet a reality in your life because I'm going to create that reality in your life. 
This is vital for us to grasp that we are to walk before Almighty God and to then become blameless. It's vital for us to grasp this in the times that we're living in. We want to recognize that God is the God who promises that He will give, He will make us, He will multiply us, He will make us fruitful, He will establish us, and that He will be our God. It's vital for us to grasp this because if you look at the third angel in Revelation chapter 14, the third angel's message says this, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, whoever receives the mark of his name. We're living in a time period where we have to choose between two different marks. Two different signs, two different seals in our lives. Will we choose Jesus and Jesus only? Or will we choose our works and what we can accomplish in our lives? And this is symbolized in such a beautiful way. If you look in the Bible, the only things that are called the everlasting covenant, the sign of the everlasting covenant, you have, we looked at the rainbow. You remember how the rainbow was given as the sign of the everlasting covenant? The other thing that's called this is circumcision, which we just looked at. And in the New Testament, it's clearly said that, that no longer is circumcision a needed thing because it's about faith in the God who circumcises our hearts. And there's one other thing. Can you guess what it is? It's the seventh-day Sabbath. It's referred to as the sign of the everlasting covenant. The seventh-day Sabbath is this symbol that, in a way... It wounds our weeks. Have you noticed that before? You ever think about how much more you could get done in seven days rather than in six days? And yet God calls you to say, okay, all you have to do is work six days and then you're going to look to me as the one who will provide for you. And the seventh day becomes this symbol of a rest in Him as the One who provides for us as our Creator, our Sustainer, our Savior, and our soon-coming King. And it's a beautiful thing to have this sign, this symbol in our lives. And we have a choice. Will we appreciate the beauty of this sign that God has given to us? Adam and Eve were created on day six. And the first thing God invited them to do was to rest in the finished work that He had accomplished for a 24-hour period on the seventh-day Sabbath. And this was to be a sign in Exodus. We're told that the Sabbath is given to you as a sign that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I'm the one who will accomplish this in your life. The Review and Herald talking about the third angel's message Several have written to me inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message. And I have answered it is the third angel's message in verity. The recognition that God is our Savior as symbolized, as signified through the seventh-day Sabbath, this is the message that the world needs to hear that we don't need to save ourselves. But we have a full and complete Savior whose name is Jesus. This has incredible healing power. And we celebrate this every seventh day as we worship the One
who has accomplished it all for us. And we can set aside the work, the stress, the anxieties, the chores, the stuff that we normally worry about, and we can simply have a day to build that relationship with Him. To be still before Him. To let Him be the God who sees and hears us. To recognize how much He loves us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. You recognize the language like we learned? Let, let's test one more time. Do you remember the, the memory verse at the beginning? I am... I think you're getting it. I'm Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, basically, right? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the active person before the coming of Jesus. There's going to be people who it says they're going to be blameless. And notice the active agent in this. It's the God of peace who's stepping into their lives and transforming them to become more and more and more loving, and throughout eternity to continue to make you more and more and more loving. Verse 24 concludes by saying, He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. (laughs) He called you to blamelessness. He calls you to this experience of love that's like what he experiences. And he who calls you is faithful. He's the one that will establish his covenant in your life. So friends, I just want to invite you to keep walking before Him. To just keep putting your hands up. To just continue to let Him lead you step by step by step. And don't let go of His hands. Don't let go of Jesus. But keep on walking step by step by step. Walk before Him and be blameless. Libby's getting a little bit better all the time. You can tell there's, this was just this morning. Now her steps are coming a little bit faster. But she's continuing to just hang on to Daddy when she's walking or whoever is walking her. She knows that the source of her strength to be able to walk is in the one who holds her. And we need childlike faith to recognize that our strength to be able to walk is in the One who holds us, not in us. Our last verses that we'll look at, Colossians chapter 2, talking about circumcision here, it says this before it talks about that. It says, For in Him dwells all the fullness, that's in Jesus, of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him. Your impotence united to His omnipotence becomes completion. Your weakness combined with His strength is all that you need. And you are complete in Him. In Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. He calls you to something. He calls you to step away from the stuff that hurts you. But not to step away in your own strength. But with your hands up to the one who holds you. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. The uncircumcision is looked at as, as death. as something that you can't overcome. And yet we serve a God who is the resurrection and the life. You being dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, 
having forgiven you all trespasses. I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Friends, that's my simple invitation to you this morning. If you want to put your hands up into the hands of the One who has forgiven you, who will accept you this morning, who isn't asking for you to jump through some hoops in order to come to Him, but who wants to give you repentance, who wants to give you forgiveness, who wants to lead you in paths of righteousness for His name's sake, do you want to be complete in Him this morning? If that's your desire, I just want to invite you to stand with me as we pray together. In fact, just lift your hands up in the air as if you're grabbing the hands of God. And I want you just to picture that He's there right behind you with His hands in your hands, giving you the strength to keep on keeping on. Father in heaven, we simply want to not let go of You. God, there's so many other things that distract us in our life, so many other things that we reach out for, that we try to grab a hold of, that lead us to not hang on to You. Lord, I pray that we would fix our eyes on the Almighty, the El Shaddai, that we would cling to Your arms, to Your hands, and we would allow You to lead us to love more fully and deeply. That You would give us hope this morning, God, that You are the God who calls those things that don't exist as if they do. And even though we don't sense Your love in our lives, even though we don't see Your work in our lives in the way that we want, that we would continue to believe Your promises that we would trust in the God who makes His covenant with us. That we would believe that You are the one who establishes, that You are the one who makes us into the ones You want us to be. Oh God, may we cling to You like we've never clung to You before. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.